we began a brand new series this weekend on the book of Jonah, and I call it Lessons from the Fish Hotel. Oh, it's five star. Yes, sir. Lessons from the Fish Hotel. This is Jonah chapter 1, the first 13 verses. It says, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked the people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction that the Lord told him. He must have been a Texan. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, got on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a great storm that threatened to break up the ship. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hole. So the captain went down after him. Hey, man, how can you sleep at a time like this? Get up, pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down upon us, they demanded. Who are you? What's your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made sea and the land. The sailors became terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. That would be a great way to meet new people in church, wouldn't it? Oh, hi, Becky and Jim. Are you running from the Lord? Yeah. Where did you just leave to come here? Yeah. Uh, they said, well, why did you do it? And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me in the sea, Jonah said, and it'll become calm again. I know that because of me, this terrible storm has come upon you. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Jonah was a prophet not a priest. Priests served in the temple. They offered sacrifices. They led worship. A prophet in the Old Testament was a reformer, an activist, a troublemaker. They were always pricking the people's conscience. Israel always had lots of priests, but generally just one prophet at a time, because pretty much that's all they could stand. So one day, the word of the Lord comes to this prophet Jonah, and the word comes and says, go to Nineveh. You know, when you hear from God, and you will on occasion. Sometimes it's just one word. Sometimes just three words. But those words can change your life. I mean, it isn't an hour and a half discord. It could be no, and you just feel it. You just know it. Or it can be three words. I've had it happen on a few occasions over my lifetime, and they were life-transforming about a situation we were facing and it was absolutely spot on. But this one was, go to Nineveh. Now, Jonah was a prophet, but he was a prophet to Israel, for crying out loud. He had nothing to do with other countries. They didn't have a temple. They didn't know God. But word comes to him, go to Nineveh and preach, not to it, oh no, against it. Now, how would you like that assignment? Kind of a daunting task. Nineveh was the, capital, the, captain, the capital 
of Assyria. In the 7th and 8th centuries B.C., Assyria was the great world power. It chewed up and spit countries out at will. It put the populations of the countries it conquered on death marches. It practiced genocide as a state policy. Not a good place. When Israel was split into two kingdoms, there was a northern kingdom, they call that Israel, of the ten tribes, and the southern kingdom called Judah of two tribes. And the northern kingdom and those ten tribes was captured and basically vaporized, obliterated by Assyria. Assyria was hated so much, this is what a prophet named Nahum said about Nineveh, the capital. Woe to Nineveh, woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, piles of dead bodies, I think that's Washington, D.C., bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses, your injury is fatal. Now, Nahum is predicting the fall of Nineveh. He says, your injury is fatal. Everybody who hears the news about you is going to clap their hands at your fall because who has not felt all of your endless cruelty? Nineveh is so hated that when it's destroyed, Nahum says, people are going to stand up and cheer at your demise. They're going to clap their hands. Now, if you want to understand how an old Hebrew felt about Nineveh, think about Al-Qaeda or Nazi Germany. Think about a power that killed your children, enslaved your brother, and raped your children. Or think about the KKK if you were an African-American and people who could hang you, torture you, uh, enslave you, split your family, and you had nothing to do with it. You had no say in the matter. Most of you have never been treated that way, but plenty of African-Americans were treated that way. And you can understand it may carry on for generations, suspect uh, suspicion about another race that had enslaved them. Try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes to understand how they might feel or at least have, you may not agree, but understand why somebody may feel the way that they do. Nahum said some very strong condemning words about Nineveh. Yeah, but where, Rick, was Nahum when he said it? Oh, did I mention he was safe in Israel? A long way from Nineveh. Then the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and I love it. These people are just like us. Go to Nineveh. Learn to speak Assyrian. Tell them face to face, I'm going to judge them. And I imagine Jonah said, Lord, uh, I don't want to bring it up, but Nahum got to talk to him from a distance. Couldn't I, like, send an email or something? And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Nineveh was not in J J Jonah's comfort zone. Nineveh is the place God calls you and me to go where you don't want to go. Nineveh is trouble. Nineveh is danger. Nineveh is fear. What do you do when God says to you or me, go to Nineveh, go to the place you don't want to go? Because God will say that to you. Well, now we find out the response of Jonah. Nineveh is due east, so Jonah goes due west. Yeah, but he's not going to Nineveh. He's headed west for Tarshish. Yeah, amazing, huh? Kind of interesting guy. The text says in verse 2, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Jonah, the prophet, the man of God, is running from God. What a dumb, stupid thing to do. Run from God. And one of the things about disobedience is it requires the illusion, I won't get caught. It's like the story of the football player who was struggling in his class, and he sits across from the smartest guy in the class. And after an exam, the professor said to the football player, you must have cheated on the test. You both got the same exact score on the test, and you both got one question wrong. 
And the football player said, well, that could have been a coincidence. The professor said, well, yeah, but both of you got the same question wrong. The football player said, well, yeah, but that could have been a coincidence. The professor says, yeah, but the best student's paper said, I don't know the answer to this question. And your paper said, I don't know the answer either. <coughs> See, if I want to disobey the Lord, the first thing I got to do is make sure my mind doesn't think about him being right there. I've got to find a way mentally to eliminate the awareness that he's present. So I, if I want to do something wrong, it always involves running away from the Lord. And people and Christians do it all the time. Everybody has a little of that in them. It might happen like this. I know God's asking me to go to Nineveh. I know God wants me to confront this person, have a conversation about the truth, but I know it's going to be hard. It won't be pleasant, and I don't want to face the pain. I'll just go to Tarshish. Or I know God's calling me to serve in this area. I'm a sitter, but I ought to be serving, but I don't want to. It might be difficult, inconvenient, might be kind of scary. I don't have a lot of confidence. I don't want to do it. I'll just run to Tarshish. Or I know God's calling me to be generous and let go of the grip that money has on my life. I know God says, trust me enough to be generous. I know God says, test me with the tithe. See if I won't be faithful to you. But I don't want to. I'm afraid. I'm scared. I might not have enough. I'll run to Tarshish. I'll join another church. That's exactly what Jonah does. He's he thinking like we think sometimes. I can run from God and nobody will ever know. God always knows. That's dumb. He always knows. He says, I know the thought and intent of every heart. Well, I don't want to, you know, it's not like it's a secret to, to God. Anything I can think, he already knows. He's omniscient, omnipresent, and it's just dumb just to think about it. You might as well, when you pray, tell him the truth because he already knows. And I think he thinks a lot more of you when you just tell the truth. So maybe you're there right now, this Nineveh thing. This is an amazing story. Jonah goes down to Joppa, which is the port city, where he found a ship bound for Tarshish. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed toward Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And the text says he paid the fare. Now that was a big deal in the ancient world. Money was still relatively new. It had been a barter economy. I'll trade you this for that. And money was tremendously scarce, particularly among the people of Israel. Hardly anybody would have been able to do what Jonah did. Jonah had enough cash to buy passage for a long voyage right out of his own pocket. He had mobility. He had options. You know, the thing about money is it can be such a blessing or a curse. But here's the thing about it. If you get a lot of it, it makes it easier to think I can run away from God because now I got options. When I was broke, when I didn't have enough money, there was a lot of stuff I couldn't do. But now with money, there's a lot of things I can do. And the enemy, if he can't keep you broke, then we'll just say, then I'll get you distracted. I'll pull you out of your focus about using your time, talent, and treasure to honor me, I'll get you distracted with vacations, two houses, three houses, get you an airplane, stay here, go to that, true Europe, and pretty soon, you're gone. You're out. You're, you're, you're off to Tarshish. That's the danger. That's all. So don't be anti-money, but, but if you don't have any good values in you, if you don't have a good foundation in you, then it's just going to, you're going to go crazy. You know, so learn to be good with what you have, and then God may give you more. 
But if you're going to cheat him and rob him and run to Tarshish, you probably, you'll always live with barely enough. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, your choice. So he gets on a ship of Tarshish. And that's significant because it's not going the right way. He's going the wrong way in his life, and everybody knows it. And, and Nineveh is a military city. Tarshish is a city of great wealth and political power. It was a pioneer in trade. Commerce over the sea was like a new technology that was making some people very rich. Now, that's not a bad thing, but it does have a way, if you're not careful, to lead to greed, arrogance, and pride. So that phrase, that, you know, Paul warns us about let who, when you're rich, he says, hey, don't get lifted up. Don't get proud. Don't forget the poor. Don't forget where you were. Don't forget how others lived. And, you know, we all, we all see the, what's that place in New York, honey, the, where they go play tennis, where all the celebrities live in New York out on the Long Island, huh? The Hamptons. Oh, Cindy and I were in New York a couple of years ago eating at an Italian restaurant where the Godfather came in there and his limo and his bodyguards came up. He had, man, just like TV, had on the trench coat, came in there, had his cigar. Several people were at the table. Two poodles with little diamond necklaces were on sitting up there at the table. I'd have smacked them right out into the street. But anyway, they're sitting there at the table and the, the guy walked in and all the waiters go up and kiss him on the cheek and the, he's walking around and he's handing out $100 bills. I'm sitting there watching this. It's, it's, it's incredible down there. And then this, this other couple comes in with their little uh, polo pony sweater on and the little blue denim shirt, and the, uh, and the wife is sitting over here, and she's got six pounds of jewelry on and her little fur coat, and, she's in, and it's open to the street. And this is real life. And he says, well, I think that outfit, my darling, will just look beautiful at the Hamptons this week. And I thought, I'm going to puke. I don't believe this. You've lost touch with reality. Get you a nice fit and go to the Hamptons. But don't sit around like, I have arrived. I wonder what all the poor people are doing. We're going to the Hamptons this week. This goes on all the time because people forget what it's like to scrub out a living and work hard and maybe not ever be rich and have enough. And they don't think about even other people or helping other people. That's the danger. That's all. That's the danger that money can give you. So that phrase, some people are nice because they don't have enough money to be as bad as they are. They're too broke. <laughs> money, will, money will just let what you are come out. That's all. That's all. It doesn't make you good or bad. It just lets out what's in there. So the phrase, this phrase, the ship of Tarshish, became a symbol of wealth in the ancient world. And that phrase comes up a number of times in the Old Testament. Isaiah talks about it in chapter 2. He says, for the Lord of heaven's armies has a day of reckoning. He will punish the proud and the mighty and bring down everything that's exalted and upon all the ships of Tarshish. And then the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 27, says the ships of Tarshish will serve as carriers for your wealth. With great wealth and your wares, you enrich the kings of the earth, but now you will be shattered by the seas. So the ships of Tarshish, they were real, they were literal, but they became symbols of wealth, self-sufficiency, power, and greed. Can you imagine there was ever once a group of human beings so deluded they would think that technology, wealth, and a clever economic system could make them secure? Welcome to America. 
To put it in 21st century terms, Jonah ran away to Wall Street. He ran away to Madison Avenue. He ran away to, you fill in the blank, you know. Jonah gets on the ship of Tarshish, and people have been headed on that ship a long time, folks. He thinks he's running to safety, and maybe you do too this morning. He thinks he's running towards opportunity and security. But maybe what looks like safe from a human perspective is not actually safe at all. Maybe, maybe the only real safe place to be is in the will of God. Even if the will of God takes you to Nineveh, the place you don't want to go, you couldn't be safer. Maybe Nineveh is really the safe place. Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great storm on the sea, and such a great violent storm arose. Now it's God who's doing great things, sending a great wind and a great storm so that that ship is threatening to break up. All the sailors are afraid. Each one's crying out to his own little God, and they threw the cargo into the sea. Now that's a major league storm. These are professional sailors. They don't panic easy, but boy, they panic now. They're so scared they take their treasure and they throw it in the sea. Now a ship, going back then, that's a big deal. A voyage could take us a year. And in some cases, in the ancient world, that was a pretty, that, that was a, a one-way trip sometimes because lifespans were real short. So this trip would be your chance to come out with some wealth. Maybe it's the owner of the ship and the crew members. It's your chance to make a big buck. Well, now they're not selling off the company. They're giving it away. They're throwing everything, all their hopes into the sea. That's how bad the storm was. And did you notice each one's now a prayer warrior? They're praying to his own God, little g. Now, outside of Israel, in the ancient world, they didn't have the idea of one great God. They thought of multi-small tribal gods for each ethnic group or tribal group. We sometimes think we invented the concept of multiculturalism, but this is a very diverse, multicultural crew displaying a variety of religious pluralism. Each one prayed to their own God. And when the sea is calm, folks, any old name for any old God's okay. But when the storm hits the fan, everything changes. Now you're hoping one of those gods turns out to be real. And what was Jonah doing at this point in the story? He's asleep in the bottom of the ship. And the captain is stunned. So this pagan captain says, hey, how can you sleep? What are you thinking, man? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he'll have mercy on us and we won't perish. <clears throat> Great story here. Here's a pagan, a Gentile ship captain, calling the man of God to pray. The prophet's doing what pagans do, sleeping when it's prayer time. So Jonah does nothing at this point. So the crew all cast lots to try to find out what's going on, and the lots indicated the problem is Jonah. So the sailors ask him, what's the problem? What's your story? And Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. It says it terrified them, and the people feared a great fear. And they said, what have you done? Pretty good question. Scripture says they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. Interesting. The sailors had been praying to a bunch of little tribal gods, each to their own. Then they asked Jonah, what's going on? Jonah says, there is a God, one God. He is the God of Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Miriam. He's the God who wants to be known by people, the God who created the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the land. Now, the sailors already knew Jonah was running away from God. 
but they thought just a little tribal God of Israel. And then they see the storm and Jonah says, hey boys, this is the God. He's the one that sent this storm. He's real. He reigns over heaven and earth. He's got a name. He wants to be known. And they feared a great fear. Now they're coming to know Jonah and they're coming to know Jonah's God on a ship of Tarshish in the middle of a storm. Something remarkable kind of going on. If Jonah had come to them in pride and said, men of Tarshish, I want you to know my God's bigger than your God. My God's better than your God. He's the supreme being. Why? They would have dismissed him in a moment because it would have felt like it's just ethnic tribal superiority going on. But Jonah went to them and didn't say anything about God. He doesn't even want them to know he knows God. He waited until he had to talk about God. And one of the reasons they believed Jonah is that he comes to them as a complete screw-up, a mistake, a knucklehead. He's been a prophet all these years, and he's about to become the greatest mass Gentile conversion in Nineveh that the world has ever seen. And it's Jonah's failure, God uses, to bring these people to faith. And whatever else this book is, it's not a story about a human plan. Jonah's doing everything wrong. Well, the sea keeps getting worse and rough. The storm gets stronger. The sailors asked Jonah, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah said, pick me up, throw me in. That's what some of you ought to do with some friends. Half the storms in your life could calm down if you get rid of some people that are bringing about all the trouble in your life. Boy, it's true. So he says, pick me up, throw me in the sea, it'll become calm. Because I know it's my fault this great storm has come upon you. Ah, now there's a switch. For the first time, Jonah says, I'm not running anymore from God. Whatever it takes, whatever the cost, I won't run from you anymore. And amazingly, listen to this, these pagan sailors don't throw him overboard. They don't want to sacrifice Jonah. Instead, it says they did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't because the storm was worse than before. Their lives are at stake, but they don't want to sacrifice the life of this strange prophet. That's amazing. These sailors on the ships of Tarshish have more compassion, more raw humanity on a Hebrew prophet than the Hebrew prophet had on the people of Nineveh. Jonah didn't care about those people. And these pagans are showing mercy on him. You know, part of what the writer's telling us is that you have to be real careful about judging who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, about who's on God's side and who's not on God's side. There's no room for pride and a spirit of superiority or exclusivity by the people of God, but it's gone on for generations. God's got people everywhere. He's got some people in Hollywood. He's got people in sports. He's even got some people in here. here. <laughs> He's got them in every nation, every nationality, every ethnic background. It, one, one prophet pulled that old deal on him. I, only I am the truth, and I only am the real believer. And God said, shut up, Elijah. I got 7,000 people in that village that have never bowed a knee to Baal. I've got a bigger church than you thought. I've got people in a bad political party, another political party you don't like. I got people everywhere. So don't be too quick to pull the trigger on who's in, who's out, who's bad, who's good. So these sailors of Tarshish, with all this compassion and humanity, they're willing to risk their own life trying to row the boat to shore. They say a prayer. Now, they had already been praying to each of their own gods, but notice who they pray to now. It says, then they cried out to the Lord, 
Oh, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O oh Lord, have done as you please. They're, if you read that in the Hebrew, they're praying to Jehovah, Yahweh. They're praying to this God, the God of heaven and earth. And three times they do it. So they take Jonah to the side of the boat, and he's about to die, and he knows he's going to die. But he's tired of running from God. You know, God will let you run till you get tired. And he'd rather die than keep running from God. So this body is thrown into the sea, and all of a sudden, everything's calm. Storm's gone. Sometimes you run from God, and you live in the storm, and you live in a storm of disobedience in your heart, maybe in your circumstances. There's always a price to pay for running from God. And maybe that storm is in your behavior. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's running away from your calling, and the storm hits. But you know you're running. And the storm keeps going until you say, okay, God, I'll stop running. My life, my behavior, my relationships, my time, my money, my attitude, it's yours. I'm not running anymore. Now, let me pause a minute. You feel like you're going to die. You feel like I'm probably going to die now that I, I said that. But it's not true. Quick illustration. There have been many storms, but I'm thinking of one in particular God wanted me to, to start a church. I did not want to start a church. I thought that was a bad idea. I was doing import-export with exotic cars from Germany, making great money, and my plan was to have a jet and to have a beautiful condo in Monte Carlo where Cindy and I could jet over there and miss church and be gone on Memorial Day, wherever. This is, this is me. And I, I remember him dealing with me and I was working with James Robinson at the time and I was everything was going my way lived in a skidaway island at the landings a golf resort a gated guard 24-hour community on the intercoastal waterway Savannah Georgia it was great just had it all and then God shows up and says something and just ruined the whole thing and I just ignored it and then this went on for a little while maybe six months and then all of a sudden, I flew in maybe six or seven cars on Lufthansa from Frankfurt, Germany, and I couldn't sell them. And I thought, what's wrong? I can't give them away. I couldn't sell our house. Everything I was so good at shut down. I mean, you just know this is not natural. This is not even normal possibility. And I, I still refused to budge. I kept running. I kept running. I can fix this. I can solve this. I can make it happen. I have enough skill and wisdom, and uh, I got enough. I can do it. And I tried everything. And I mean, I had 200, back in 1972, I had $250,000 on the line, my money. I couldn't move anything. And I remember thinking, I've done everything I know to do. Oh, and I was praying. <laughs> I was praying. Oh, God. Deliver me. Help me, please. I remember laying my head down by my oatmeal on the kitchen table, and I just cried, and I just didn't know what to do. But I knew what to do. But I didn't want to do it. It was about Nineveh. And I'll never forget when I said, okay. I told Cindy, okay, I'll do it. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't even think it'll work, but I'll do it. When I set up to do it, in 29 days, every car was sold, 
House was sold. I never negotiated a price. Everybody gave me the high price, top dollar. American Airlines captain flew in, said, I want your house, and I want it now. And they had just opened the American Airlines into Savannah, Georgia. He, and I thought, this was easy. The storm ended pretty much in a week. And by the end of the month, it was all gone in my favor. And we got a trailer, you haul it, drove into San Antonio with two little girls, and here we are. But the, I, I say it because I'm not, I'm not innocent either. I'm trying to tell you that storm is not going to go away. In fact, it'll get worse until you do what God told you to do you don't want to do, and that's going to be your Nineveh, whatever it may be. You know, it's just, just interesting. There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us, I think. So you feel like you're going to die, but the storm calms down. And Jesus is kind of all over this book. He would one day come, be in a boat when the storm hit, and then he'd calm the storm. And he still does that for people because maybe you're in a storm now. And then this amazing thing happens. The storm gets calmed. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. The word is Jehovah. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. That's an act of worship. And they made vows to him as an act of commitment, as an act of devotion. So here's an amazing thing. A pagan boat <coughs> becomes a place of worship. The ship of Tarshish becomes a temple of the living God, and that wasn't Jonah's plan. This is the last thing Jonah planned. He was supposed to be going the other direction, and it turns out these sailors on the ship aren't just bit players in this story after all. It's a story about Tarshish. Jonah thought he was running away from God. Jonah thought he could stop what God wanted to do, but God was at work in ways Jonah couldn't even dream of. What a God. And what a shock to the readers of this story who were in Israel. Pagan Gentiles worshiping the God of Israel on the ship of Tarshish and Israel's prophet sinking down into the sea. Listen to this. He paid the fare and he never got his frequent flyer points for this. This is a trip he paid for but didn't get what he wanted. It says he went down to Tarshish. He went down into the ship. He went down into the hole of the ship. He went down into the sea. He will learn later. He went down into the belly of a whale. This sucker is losing altitude. All the, and if you'd have met Jonah, you wouldn't know this is going on. And there are people in this room and watching by live stream, and it's going down. And it, you go down further and further. And you're paying. It's not a free ride. Oh, yeah, you're paying. You're paying the fare, but you're not going to get where you want to go. Now, let me give you a quick summary. If somebody asked you this week, what happened in the first chapter of Jonah? Oh, you can say it easy. Here it is. In the first chapter of Jonah, God says, go. Jonah says, no. God says to the wind, blow. Jonah says, so. Captain says, bro. Jonah says, throw. Sailors say, whoa. Now, you know all the first chapter of Jonah in a quick, quick summary. The sailors come to know God, but Jonah's adventure is just beginning. And here's the close. It's never too late to stop running from God. It's not too late. Never, never too late to stop running. And here's another part. It's never too soon to stop running from God. Never. You can run, but you can't hide. Do yourself a favor. Stop running. Maybe you've been doing it in obvious ways. People around you who know you and love you, they can see it. Maybe you've been running in secret, in hidden ways. Maybe a storm is hit or it's coming. Don't wait for the storm to get any worse. 
Jesus always has the same invitation to everybody. Just come to me. Come running to me. Running away doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So ask yourself and God, is there any place you're calling me to go to Nineveh? Something you're asking me to do that I don't want to do and I've been refusing to do. Have I been running away from you? Let's pray. Just bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, the truth about all of us is that we're runners. We all have a little bit of Jonah in us. We get scared. We want what we want. And we tend to shut the awareness of you out of our thoughts. Or we'll stay away from people that'll make us think. We'll stay away from church if it brings any conviction. We want to run. We flee from your presence. Thank you. The good news is you are always at work in ways we could not plan or imagine. So I pray right now for those in a spiritual struggle, in a storm, for men and women who know of some area, some relationship, some behavior where they've been running the other way and maybe for a long, long time. Would you nudge their hearts and speak to them your invitation? Come home. Come to me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Help each of us to stop running away. Give us a revelation of what a good and loving and great God that you are. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.